Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Mm, so many changes I would make if I was John Sherman. Free beer Tuesday. <laughs> you would also then need like a DUI lawyer Wednesday. <laughs> Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the inspiration behind The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Originally, it was going to be called The Lion, The Witch, The Wardrobe, and The Scumbag, my brother Mike. It actually got weirder when they changed it to their way. You know, mine was too edgy. Yeah. <laughs> they said mine was too edgy and too, you know, too gritty, too real. And so then they took it some weird place, you know? Mine was mine was about the, the streets of Narnia, you know? Yeah. Mine was on the streets of Narnia. Mm-hmm. They couldn't handle that. Right, right. It was all mining town, and it was all just real, uh, real working class stuff from you, right, Mike? Um, What's that yeah. guy's name? Uh, D- David Fincher, Finch. David that, Fincher. It was one yeah. of those. Yeah, one of them movies. All right. It was. It was a David <laughs> Fincher joint before, but then That's he right. got. You know, I got kicked off the project. He walked because we're so close. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Very odd story. We'll we'll get into that someday. But on this week's episode, we're going to recap a real soft dump of a week from the Kansas City Royals. We're going to discuss what they can do to get things on track. And we're going to preview this week's slate of games. First, I want to remind you guys to go out and make sure that you're subscribing, rating, and reviewing. We haven't talked about that in a while. We like to read a lot of the reviews that we get, especially the ones on Apple Podcast. So go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We'll read it here on the show. Haven't gotten one of those in a while. So go out and make sure you're reviewing the show. You're giving us a nice five-star rating. It helps people find the show. It helps out in tremendous ways. Also, we want to mention that Royals Weekly is brought to you by All In Physical Therapy. For one-on-one personalized physical therapy, we choose All In Physical Therapy. They took Great care of our mother after surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm. She loves to work out, be active. Lou Ferrigno is based on her life. That's right. A person's life is based on her life. That is how jacked she is. She just loves to work out. The excellent specialized care she got at All In Physical Therapy had her back to throw in plates in no time. The secret is she's always angry. You don't have to make her angry. She's always angry. All in Physical Therapy knows how to help athletes recover. It's owned and operated by Lee Summit's own Tommy Freevert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit, so get on over there to work with Tommy. Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All In Physical Therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427-5300. Or visit their website at allin-pt.com. That's A-L-L-I-N-PT.com. We'll start our review with roster news, as we always do. It was a couple of bits of interesting roster news this week. Uh, Dylan Coleman was optioned to AAA, uh, which we kind of all saw coming after the start to this season, and not a great spring either. Josh Shamet was recalled to Major League Baseball to fill that spot, 
Mike, it was inevitable with that 18 ERA that Dylan Coleman was sporting, that uh, 8.17 fielding independent pitching, 24.1% walk rate for Dylan Coleman. The fastball velocity was down three miles an hour. What are your thoughts on his demotion and Stamat's return to the major to major leagues? Well, Dylan Coleman has always had some command issues, but when your fastball is 98 to 100 and you have the slider that he has, he was often able to paint over those, walk a guy, then he'd get two strikeouts, he'd be okay, or whatever. When his velocity comes down that much, he can't get away with anything. Like, he used to be able to throw fastballs that would end up right down the middle of the plate, but when you're throwing at 99, you still got a chance to miss a lot of bats. And so... The, when his his velocity comes down, and we've talked about this with Josh Stalmont in the past, that he really needs a, a, a good level of velocity because his command isn't good enough necessarily. He's got one great secondary pitch, but you know after that, it's, it's nothing else really. So uh, Dylan Coleman's going to be very similar. He really needs that velocity because his command will never be great. So when you combine the lack of stuff uh, with... The lack of command. Now you're talking about a, like I think you said, 18 ERA. So hope he gets down there. Hope they can get some, uh, either the velo back up, improve the command or both. That would be great. And uh, yeah. And I know he was working on another pitch this uh, spring, but you know, he, he, he's got some things to work on even outside of another pitch. So I would love to see him uh, get better and come on back. Yeah, I think they had mentioned that they think it's something mechanically that is causing his velocity to drop. And so if they can get that ironed out in AAA, maybe they got a chance to bump that velocity back up to the 97 to 99 range. And then he's really humming again, hopefully get some confidence going back there. We saw that Stamat seemed to benefit greatly from being sent down to AAA and, and coming back. And so hopefully that's a something that benefits Dylan Coleman as well, because you know, a, a bullpen that has both of those guys is, is a little bit more exciting than just one or neither of them. And so I was actually glad to see that they were quick to demote Dylan Coleman, that unlike in years past, maybe when they would just let guys languish in Major League Baseball. Now, I will say on the offensive side, I think they're letting Michael Massey languish a little bit. But it was nice to see them sort of quick hook Dylan Coleman and say and say, hey, you're not right right now. You need to go get right. You got options. We can send you down. That's not a problem. So glad to see the quick demotion took place there because it was plain to see. I mean, yes, sometimes you need to let guys get a large enough sample size, but sometimes you just see it and it's like, oh no, very obviously you're not throwing as hard. Very obviously mechanics aren't working. You're, it's not working. You need to get out of here and get down to Omaha to get right. In sadder news, Chris Bubich was placed on the 15-day injured list with a left flexor strain. That just happened today. It's Sunday, April 16th. Uh, to fill his roster spot, Josh Taylor was recalled to Major League Baseball. He, he made his Royals debut today. They don't need a fifth starter, I don't think, right away. And so they may skip his turn in the road, uh, Chris Bubich's turn in the rotation. But this is some somewhat of a, of a difficult blow for a rotation that we've mentioned uh, does not have a ton of depth. Mike, how are you feeling about this news of Chris Bubich heading to the IL? Crushed. Just complete soul obliteration as we were starting to possibly see the blossoming of a Chris Bubich and now, bam, hit with this. And we still don't know more about how the testing went today and all that sort of stuff. You really hope it's just a strain and he's coming back, you know, pretty soon. But, man, it, it sucks. And then there's the, the whole thing. The Rose came out and said, oh, you know, we, we saw the dip in velocity early on, thought it was just because of the weather. And, you know, he still went on to throw 100 pitches. That kind of sucks because if if he heard it early on and he's still throwing, you don't want that. But, man, this sucks for Chris Bubich. And really hope it's nothing more than just a strain. 
Yeah, I'm actually glad to hear them at least come out and admit, hey, we maybe made a mistake there and should have like, you know, maybe thought about pulling him earlier because, you know, previous regime never willing to admit they may have made a mistake, completely unwilling to do that. And so it's actually really refreshing to me to hear them be like, no, we may have made a mistake with that one. And for them to be thinking in terms of like, we want to we want to get guys out before they ever experience or experiencing injury or the first sign of any kind of potential injury. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to have an organization that can admit it made mistakes. It's a good thing to have an organization that wants to protect the health of its players. For Bubich, this is brutal, right? Because despite the fact that he gave up some runs in his last outing, he still looked pretty decent. He still looks really good so far overall this year. He's got a nearly nine to one strikeout to walk ratio right now. He has a fielding independent pitching under three right now. That's how good Chris Bubich has been so far. It looked like we were set to maybe look see a Chris Bubich breakout season. I really, really hope this is just a couple weeks down, maybe another couple weeks getting built back up, and then he's back to you know the rotation because back to the success he was having too. Because you want a guy like him to be a foundational piece of your rotation. It looks like, wow, mid-rotation starter was the ceiling of what we were seeing earlier this year. So let's hope that he gets back to that because the Royals are desperately going to need starting pitching throughout this entire year. The well is not very deep here, and I worry that we may be scraping the bottom of it, and it's only April. Speaking of scraping the bottom of a dark, dark well, the Royals went 1-5 last week. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's what it felt like. It felt like, you know, you guys... What? It's a well filled with shit. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh so man, you guys, people, is- we have we have to laugh because if we don't, the other only other option is crying, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. We have to laugh at it. Yeah. Uh, so you guys have probably seen like Batman Begins. We are basically Bruce Wayne at the bottom of the thing, but we're actually an or- just a complete orphan already. There's no parent coming to get us. We've just fallen down a well. Okay, that's all we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what happened to the Royals last week. Uh, one in five, they went. They Their lone win coming in the series against the Rangers. I will say they had a chance to win that Rangers series. You'll remember game two of that series. They uh, had a lead that uh, Scott Barlow blew in the ninth. And then they ended up losing in, over, or in overtime, in extra innings. <laughs> um, and, and then they ran into this buzzsaw known as the Atlanta Braves that really showed the Royals faithful what a legit World Series contender looks like. I'm it's weird. I, a lot of people want to be like, oh, oh, the Braves are just really freaking good. OK, like it's not that the Royals are garbage. I mean, they're not great, but the, you combine with the Royals struggling offensively and the and the A's just being a juggernaut offensively right now. The Braves and the Braves are going to compete for the World Series this year, people. So, yeah, it looked rough because it was rough. But, you know. Let's give the Braves some credit for being an amazing team, which they are. Like, what are your thoughts as you look back on this week? One and five, real dark. People are in a dark place. What are you thinking? For this team to have success, win-loss success, as we might quantify that as, I don't know, anything over 75 wins or whatever, around eight, you know, 75, that uh, they have to win the games they have a chance to win. You can't give up a lead in the ninth. You can't give up a lead in the ninth again today. Like when you get a chance to to win games, you have to win them. And the the other thing I had on there was the Braves are real damn good. <laughs> that's that's yeah. it. Like that's that's it. Like when they throw out that the pitching staff that the Braves have, and today you get Kyle Wright and he's very good. And then you get actually get a chance to win the game, and you don't. Well, that's that's when you continue to struggle. That's how it goes. 
Uh, it is rough to be one and five in this week, but we do have to say that Atlanta series was going to be rough no matter what. They are a very good baseball team. The thing that kills me is that they hit Atlanta just at the wrong time, that they've suffered some injuries, that they've, you know, all these things that they really don't need to go wrong for them right now are going wrong for them right now. They don't need to be playing such a tough schedule right now, but guess what? They are. They don't need to be losing guys like Chris Bubich right now, but guess what? They are. Why? Because they're the Royals. This is what happens to the <laughs> Royals. Uh, and so, yeah, it's rough. I know fans are very demoralized. It's all over the timeline. But, you know, I do take a little bit of solace in the fact that, one, some of their offensive performers have gotten it going. Bobby Wood Jr. is now really hot, really on fire. Um, Vinny Pasquantino seems to be doing well. Some of their offensive guys are coming around. I got to imagine they're going to ditch Massey at some point soon. You just can't. Keep letting him, but we're going to talk more about that later. Uh, anyway, let's talk about who had a decent week this week and what was a one in five week. Mike, who was your strong performer for the week? Uh, the Pasquatch, old Vinny Pasquantino. Uh, I have to give some credit to David Lesky, though. Um, my, he, he put out what the Mike Rush and Vinny one. I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was no. pretty good. Uh, when you I'm said giving- I have to give credit. When you said I have to give credit to David Lesky, I thought I was like, is he Pasquantino's hitting coach or something? Like, do <laughs> no. I, is he working with Pasquantino? I, I have to give him nickname credit because I love Pasquatch as a nickname, but my crush in Vinny is pretty good in my opinion. I like it. <laughs> it's just too long, but I like it. Yeah. Um, so Vinny went six for 21 this week. He had two doubles, two home runs, five walks to only two Ks, and his OPS was over one. And he... Single-handedly put the Royals back in the game today with a home run. Um, I know you mentioned, I think, on Twitter that teams are trying to pitch him to the outside. The The good thing about uh, Pasquantino is his plate coverage is pretty good, but if there is one spot you can get him, it's outside. The The good thing, though, is, he yeah, he might give up that one-third of the plate. That might not be his best spot, but anything outside of that, he just doesn't swing. So if mm-hmm. you don't exactly hit that outside third, you're in trouble. And so, uh, yes, I would love to see at some point him uh, taking balls to left field if they're on that outside third. But I think he does a damn good job of either fouling those off when he has to or just letting them go. And that's what separates him from some of the other Royals hitters who will swing at pitches in their zones that they can't hit in. Um, But great week from Vinny. Hope he keeps it up. He's the anchor of the lineup. Yeah, Vinny really is a like go ahead and take a chance inside on me. I dare you kind of guy. And when guys do it, he yanks them out of the park, just like he did today. And so that's great to see. It is, you know, you can be that kind of hitter. I don't know what kind of elephant parade is going through your house right now, Mike, but there's a me lot of either. Uh, extra, extra noise going on in there. <laughs> um, anyway, Vinny Pasquantino, I do worry sometimes about outside corner with him, but he is such a disciplined hitter. He can make it work if he just wants to focus on the middle and the inner half. He can make that work, no problem. Uh, so great to see him. If he's going and some of these other guys get going, they got a chance to score some runs. Problem is he can't do it alone. Uh, my strong performer for the week was another guy who you hope is going to be a tandem with Vinny Pasquantino for many years to come, and that's Bobby Witt Jr. He started to get really, really hot this week. He went 12 for 27 with two doubles, one triple, one walk, four strikeouts, and four stolen bases. Now, what's great for Bobby is he is taking more of those really good plate appearances where he's laying off pitching. He's still a little over aggressive at times, especially with guys on base. He wants to swing. He wants to be a hero all the time, but it is getting a little bit better. It's incrementally better, but it is a little bit better. And so that's great to see from him. 
him gaining an understanding of like where he needs to swing, when he needs to swing and all of that and situational stuff. So I, I hope he gets more and more chances with guys on base because he'll start to learn situationally that he can even get more what pitchers are trying to do to him in particular situations. He had a lot of ground balls today, including grounding into at least one double play that was big today and hurt them tr- tremendously. He'll understand like, oh, he's trying to pitch me at the bottom. He wants me to swing at anything in the bottom half right now because it gets him a double play ball, stuff like that. The more he he gets into these situations, the more he'll understand like, no, it's not really worth it for me to target anything in the bottom half of the zone for this plate appearance. Not everybody was uh, Pasquantino and Wit level hot. They a uh, few guy, quite a few guys in this one for five week or one in five week uh, didn't uh, play up to snuff. Mike, tell us who was uh, not your shining star this week. Edward Olivares had a rough one. Okay, Edward Olivares is usually like, yeah, you love him offensively, but he didn't even do good offensively this week. Four for twenty one, only one extra base hit, seven strikeouts to one walk. And defensively, he was just a tragedy on a Shakespeare level. And so, yeah, you finally got to see the old the old Edward Olivares come out defensively because it was not good. Now, the wind was blowing like crazy today when he had two really bad plays, but I don't even know that the wind really affected him. Um, I know that it wasn't good defensively or offensively for Edward Olivares this week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some changes they might be able to make uh, that could help uh, start them on the winning. We'll talk about... I'll mention a little bit about how maybe we can get Olivares out of there defensively a little bit. Let's be honest. Uh, he doesn't make that mistake today. They probably win that game. Yep. Because that mistake, I would say, contributed to two runs at least. Two runs, yeah. They scored um, two runs so, on that play. Yeah. And so, not just, well, it wasn't just about that play, too. It also put a guy in, uh, in on third base to be sacrificed in on the yep. very next hitter. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a big, big, big mistake from Olivares and can't be made. Can't do it. If you're the Royals, you can't be making those mistakes. Uh, my weak performer for this week is one Brady Singer, and I put him here pretty much because I wanted to talk about him. There were a lot of weak performers to choose from, FYI. FYI, <laughs> a lot of guys uh, who could have made this list right here. Uh, but I chose Singer because he had a particularly bad day and because it particularly doesn't worry me. Like uh, Singer gave up eight earned runs and in five innings pitched on Friday against the Braves. He gave up four home runs in that outing. No walks, eight strikeouts. And the four home runs, no walks, and eight strikeouts is actually what doesn't worry me, is why I'm not worried, right? Um, What you need to know about home run hitting in Major League Baseball as far as pitching goes is that it's pretty variable. Yes, some pitchers give up more home runs than others, but for the most part, guys stick within a particular band of giving up home runs. Uh, for, For... a guy like um, Singer and for Singer in the past, he tends to give up about uh, 14% of his fly balls are home runs, basically. Um, right now, 33% of his fly balls are home runs. Okay. That's not going to last. It's just a variable thing. Hitting home runs, you think like some people think, oh, it's because he's throwing too many pitches in the heart of the plate. Eh, to some degree, but really that number is going to come back down right? He's not going to face the Braves every time he's, you know, it's just, I'm not worried because his adjusted FIP, his adjusted fielding independent pitching, which adjusts for a regular home run rate is 3.57. He's striking guys out. He's not walking guys. And that's the basic formula for success as a pitcher. And so I think he's going to be fine. He had a really bad outing this week, but Hey, everybody has him every now and again. I mean, you know, sometimes Max Scherzer goes out and gets shelled. It happens, you know? Uh, so We'll see, but I'm pretty sure that uh, I'm not going to be too too uh, 
losing sleep over Brady Singer and his outing. Mike, what was your theme for the week as we look back on this uh, on this darkness? Mine is adding injury to insult. It was already a really bad week. And then blammo, the injury to Bubich. It's like, ah, uh, it's like, hey, getting thrown down on the ground and then kicked in the junk as well. It, it's not really good. So uh, it's always a rough week when you lose somebody like that. But, you know, when you're already losing and you get the injury, oof, it, it was a rough one for us Royals fans. And we're used to rough ones. Thrown on the ground and kicked in the junk. Sometimes you got to pay double for that guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, keep I'm it, talking about keep uh, it clean, Polanski. Keep it PG. All right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, <laughs> my theme for the week is a royal buzzsaw. Why? Because the Royals ran into it when they faced. You know, coming out of that Ranger series, you could have told yourself like, well, you know, they won the Giants series. They had a chance to win that Ranger series. Maybe they'll be okay. And then the Braves just, you know completely destroyed them it was it was it was rough and it, and they faced him at the wrong time matt olson and acuna and all these guys come in sean murphy blazing yeah. hot and it's like <laughs> that's the worst time to play them and so you know it sucks that when the royals are scuffling and trying to find their footing on the season they hit this buzzsaw of a world series contender but that's what happened this last week so that was my theme we'll see if they can rally they got the rangers again and then you know, they're moving on to what I would consider at least some easier opponents with the Angels and Diamondbacks and stuff like that. So we'll see as as things move forward how it looks. Royals Weekly is brought to you by Knapp Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? Funnel cake. No. Uh, my Neil deGrasse Tyson commemorative underwear collection? Also, no, I know you cherish that very much. Uh, Securing your financial future is one of the most important steps someone can take for themselves and their family, and Nat Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. This isn't some big faceless corporation we're talking about here. Nat Family Wealth is run by J.C. Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan, and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work until you're dead, education planning so your kids learn to read good, Investment management, so you can get all that money out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't got it all figured out. Check out Nap Family Wealth at napfamilywealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P familywealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member F-I-N-R-A slash S-I-P-C. The Royals need some adjustments if they hope to right the ship a little. And being two egomaniacs, we're pretty sure we've got the answers <laughs> to a spark to spark a turnaround for the boys in blue here. Easy. Uh, piece of cake. <laughs> just, just put me in charge of the team, Johnny. Uh, on this week's Spotlight segment, we're playing a game I've just invented called If I Were John Sherman. <laughs> During which, well, I, there's a whole thing. First off, I'd keep the rat mustache. mustache. Yeah. <laughs> exactly keep what I was thinking. Keep, Keep the, the mustache, mustache, lose the pants, you know? Uh, <laughs> during this game, if I were John Sherman, we, we essentially take the position of God King of the Royals and make a few changes at run more away. Uh, we'll each make th- two changes we think will help get the team back on track in 2023. Not on track like uh, to make the playoffs or anything like that, just, just to be more competitive, just to be a little bit more competitive. Uh, Mike, I'll let you start. If you were John Sherman, what change would you make first? Mm, so many changes I would make if I was John Sherman. Free beer Tuesday. <laughs> free, free beer Tuesday. 
<laughs> you would also then need like a DUI lawyer Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Pants that would lead to pantsless Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, the first baseball decision I would make. I would, uh, and I hate to say this because I love him because I like him as a prospect, but I would demote Michael Massey and promote Samad Taylor. And here's why. Samad Taylor has a 118 weighted runs created plus so far this year. He plays multiple positions. He has five stolen bases. And in that multiple positions, that includes second base where Massey currently plays. And it also includes the outfield where Edward Olivares currently plays. That takes care of one of your biggest defensive weaknesses and fills in a spot for one of your offensive weaknesses right now as well. He's only 24 years old, so he's still a very viable prospect, but he's probably proven everything he needs to prove in, uh, I wouldn't say everything he needs to prove at AAA. He could go a little bit longer because, um, you know, I think he was at AAA with Toronto last year when we got him. He come, came over here. I don't know that he had the year, but he had a good spring too. The thing I like most about him, he provides energy. He'll steal a base. He'll take an extra base. He'll even hit with a little pop. Um, you know, his walk rate's been traditionally at 10 or slightly above 10. So he can take, he can take a walk. He does strike out probably a little too much. It's a little higher than 20% over his career, but I think Samad Taylor would be a good addition to the lineup to spark some offense. Yeah, I actually, the first change I made, which you basically stole from me because I filled in the outline first, I said, I said, demote Michael Massey as well. We're both on the demote Michael Massey train and that's for his own good as well as the good of the team, right? I think he needs to be down in AAA to develop, but but I put promote Michael Garcia as the, as the corresponding move. And I considered Samad Taylor for all the reasons that you said, I like the fact that he's an energy giver. I like the fact that he plays multiple positions. He's an athlete. I like all that stuff. It's, it's great stuff. And I think he's going to be a good addition to this team when he comes up. I'm worried about the offensive profile in the major leagues. I'm worried a little bit that his walk rate is so low this year. I'm worried that a lot of the success he's having offensively is on bad AI or on balls and plays very high and things like that. That concerns me a little bit. That's why I went ahead and said, demote Michael Massey, promote Michael Garcia. I think Garcia gives you two things better than Taylor. One, he just gives you a better plate appearance. His on base is going to be high and you can kind of count on that because you can kind of count on the fact that he's going to walk around 15% of the time. I think you can also count on his glove at second more than you can Taylor's. If I'm demoting Massey, I want somebody coming up I know can be really good at second base. And I think Mikel Garcia can do that. I think you can count on his glove at second. Taylor, while athletic, isn't the surest handed guy at second. And so I worry a little bit that he might make a few mistakes there. So I chose Mikel Garcia, but really it's six of one, half dozen of the other in my mind. It's hard to say. I think Mikel Garcia also has some experience in Major League Baseball and has maybe had a few more. I don't, I haven't looked, I haven't checked, but I have the impression that he's had a few more at bats at the high minors than uh, Samad Taylor has. So, you know, I think ultimately there's a way to get both of these guys in the lineup. I only gave us two choices, but we could also just say, how about demote Nate Eaton and bring up Samad Taylor, demote Michael Massey and bring up Mikhail Garcia, something like that, you know? Or you could, you know, DFA Hunter Dozier and bring up Michael Garcia, demote Michael Massey, bring up Samad Taylor, whatever it is. But I will re- rebute. I would like to rebute. Okay. Rebute. Who do you think hits the ball harder? Samad Taylor or Michael Garcia? Samad, Samad Taylor definitely okay. hits the ball harder. Point proven. Point to Mike. <laughs> he, he, he also hits the ball less. Who do you think hits the ball less? Like <laughs> literally makes say. contact with it. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's if Taylor. I'm not mistaken, I looked at both. If I'm not mistaken, I think Michael Garcia's strikeout percentage might be a little bit higher this year so far than Samad Taylor. Yeah, but it, 
No, I don't. I don't think so. I'd have to check. But uh, let's 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 check right now. Okay, let's check, check this thing. Check check the walk okay. rate too for me. Go ahead and check the whose walk rate is about four or five times higher than some odd Taylor's. Um, hang on. Dead air. Great for podcasting. I, it's not showing me any uh, minor league numbers here. I'll, I'll get it. Mike doesn't know how to use the internet, so we're going to move on. <laughs> uh, Mike, what would your second move be? If you were John Sherman, God King of the Royals, what would your second move be to change their uh, their fate so far this year? Oh, I guess. And this is one that it's going to seem like a bunch of recency bias, but it isn't because I, you know, I actually had the idea before did today's game ever happen. You told me we were going to be doing this. So I kind of wrote some notes. These are the things I would do. And this is one I put down before. Uh, what's his name? Scott Barlow. Thank you. Uh, before he blew the game today. So I would let Chapman throw in those most high leverage situations. He's already thrown in the second most high leverage situations. And I get that. But if it's late in the game and it's on the line, like it was today, I want Chapman in there over Scott Barlow. It's not that I dislike Scott Barlow. I think Scott Barlow has a lot of value, but I've never, and I've said this for like multiple years now, I've never seen him as an elite level relief pitcher. I've seen him as a very good relief pitcher whose value somewhat lays in the fact that he can pitch multiple innings, not necessarily that he's a shutdown strikeout like kind of guy. Chapman is that guy. And he's shown this year that he's back to the Chapman than he was when he was, you know, throwing a hundred and striking everybody out. So um, I would let Chapman take those for the first foreseeable future. Do that with Samad Taylor coming up and sparking your offense and you're winning some games, damn it. Yeah. And I know we have to always sort of wait for sample sizes to be big enough and so on and so forth, but I'm not the type of guy who's like, yeah, you do always have to wait for those. You can see with your eyes that Aroldis Chapman is the real deal out of that bullpen right now. And Scott Barlow is struggling. And so I'm perfectly, I'm also uh, the type of dude who doesn't think it matters who gets the last three outs or, you know, or anything like that. I think I would much rather play matchups than do anything else than like find the best matchups for any given reliever. But if you're like, who's my best reliever that I want in the highest leverage situations right now, it's Araldis Chapman because right now Araldis Chapman is back to dominant Araldis Chapman. And so in that case, high leverage, I need one out. I need two outs desperately. I got to call him in because he's probably going to strike both guys out and we're going to move on, right? You're right. A lot of Barlow's value has always been tied up in the fact that he can pitch a lot of innings in a year, that he can give you multiple innings, that he can pitch a lot of innings in a year. And while they'll be very good innings, they won't be elite innings. Like that's always been the case. I think it'll continue to be the case. I think he'll write the ship and be okay. But if if you're asking me, where do I want the high leverage? I'm going with Arlis Chapman as well. Uh, I would like to say after exhaustive research... Okay, that Michael Garcia has about mm-hmm. a two percent higher strikeout rate than Samad Taylor right now. That's point number two to Mike. Okay, so okay, I got one already. I got one already. So what? What? What is uh, the difference in walk rate, please? Uh, right now, <laughs> this year, yeah. mm-hmm. I'd rather not say. Right now, I'd rather not right say. Now. This year. No, 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 uh... no, no. Fox News. Don't give me half the truth. <laughs> give me the whole thing. All right, like I didn't give me the whole I didn't thing. Look at Michael Garcia's because I know it's going to be higher. Uh, yeah, because Samad Taylor's this year is like four percent, but it's traditionally been oh. it's traditionally been over ten, slightly four percent. You say? Yeah. Uh, Look out, yeah. Michael Garcia is, be... is fifteen right now. <laughs> oh, so only a only a eleven point difference. Yeah, only eleven. That's eleven points to me. Not eleven. So no, thank you. no, you get zero because uh, that's that we didn't bet on. All right, that one. all right. My my second move as God King of the Royals 
is to cut Hunter Dozier and promote Logan Porter. Right? I know everybody's talking about Samad Taylor and Mikel Garcia and Nick Lofton and all that stuff. Prado. Uh, not too many people are talking about Prado right now because he's in like one. I saw it in a. I saw it in a, uh, in a friggin' well, uh, thing today. Well, a poll. Oh, a poll. You saw it in a poll, <laughs> did you? Uh, was it on Twitter? Those official polls on Twitter? I'm pretty sure um, it was Royals Farm Report that put it out. Oh, okay. Well, he's he is to be trusted. But <laughs> um, a lot of people are talking about those three. I have my reasons for wanting Nick Lofton to stay in AAA for now. Uh, but I think it makes perfect sense to cut Hunter Dozier and promote Logan Porter. Logan Porter is a 27-year-old prospect, which means he's not really a prospect, at AAA. And he has been absolutely destroying AAA pitching. He's hitting 345. He's got a 412 on base. And listen to this. He has an 828 slugging percentage right now. Yeah, you heard that right. 828 is his slugging, not his on base plus slugging, just his slugging. Okay. He is a guy who has always hit at every level he's been at, but it looks like he's actually found a way to get more loft on the baseball. And as a result, he's hitting balls out of the park like crazy so far this year. And so my thinking in cutting Hunter Dozier and promoting Logan Porter Porter is this. I have lost all faith that Dozier will ever regain any value. And so I'm like, just cut him anyway. Porter gives you an option in that DH spot and he could play first base and he can catch if you need somebody to catch for some reason. Um, and so, But he gives you an option to sort of say, hey, we need hitters in this lineup come into this lineup and just see if he takes off. There's a chance he won't. There's a chance he's nothing. He's a quad A player and he never turns into anything. But if that's the case for Logan Porter, I'd rather just go ahead and put him up there and find out. We don't have to worry too much about his development as a player. Whereas somebody like Garcia, Lofton, even Taylor to some degree, you kind of want to protect his prospects because they're younger. They have more potential. Porter is 27. It's, It's time for him to be up in the major leagues, seeing if he can get it done. I'd love to see him come up and see if he can get it done. Plus, he's a right-handed bat that I think crushes lefties. And so it'd be great to see, like, well, maybe he just gets in as a rotation and hits really well against lefties. Either way, he crushed in spring training. He's crushing so far in AAA. He's hit at every single level. Let's give him a shot offensively in the major leagues. And some people might be wondering, well, where's he going to play and all that stuff? It kind of creates this big crunch at DH first base because he's probably not catching. And so, but I I say don't worry that that much about that because – Okay, does that take bat, at bats away from Fran Mill Reyes? Yes, probably. But, you know, it does. It may mean, though, that he is playing left. Fran Mill Reyes ends up playing left field a little bit more, which I don't think anybody really wants. But, you know, I'd do it just to see because I'm a huge Logan Porter guy. You know that. I say huge. He convinced me this spring when we went and saw him, and every game he got hits and every game he played well is like, Hey, this guy can really, I at least want to see if he can or not at the major league level. So yeah, I'm a big Logan, Logan Porter head over here. Uh, hope the guy gets a shot at some point this year because he needs a shot before he's 30. So, right. Even if he's only playing four days a week, I don't care. Like get him up and that's the thing. You don't have to protect his development as a prospect in my mind. So just get him up there and see how he's going to do. He might be ready. Honestly, like he might be ready to hit at the major league level right now. And wouldn't that be cool to see him come up and actually start contributing at the major league level offensively, figure out with the DA's rotation with, you know, if he's going to catch a game every other week or something like that, whatever, Figure it out because Melendez can play the outfield just fine. You know, figure it out and see if you can get that bat into the lineup and it can do some damage for you because boy, do this off this offense need it. 
The Royals will face the Rangers again this week before an off day Thursday and the start of a long 10-game road trip that starts in Los Angeles against the Angels. Mike, tell us about the Rangers, a team we just lost a series to, even though we definitely shouldn't have, and I'm still pissed about it. <laughs> the Rangers are 8-6 and six right now, and they're tied for the lead in the AL West. We saw that they had a whole bunch of off-season additions, especially to the uh, pitching rotation. Um, their offense right now is, as the kids would say, mid it's giving mid it's giving mid i don't know what that means but it's 97 weighted runs created plus for the whole team right now is not all that great but we'll have but they're obviously their pitching staff is doing very well uh because they went out and bought you know maybe the best arm in baseball and then evaldi a solid guy as well last time we saw heaney and that guy just mowed us down uh that wasn't great but in this series we won't see him we'll see lyles against Maybe the best pitcher in baseball outside of Shohei Otani, Jacob deGrom, the 34-year-old righty out of Stetson, 4.32 ERA and a 1.02 whip. Still throws his fastball 98-99, slider, changeup, a very rare curveball. He's giving up a high line drive rate right now. And if you remember last year, if I remember correctly, they did touch him up a little bit in a game last year. Um, so maybe, maybe they last can, week. No, I meant last year. Last week they didn't oh. really hit him all that hard, but last think, year they scratched. They, they scratched a few off of him in and that, that game. I mean, and that's least, really what you're least hoping. Had guys, for. They at least had guys on base against him. They had the opportunity to scratch a few runs against him. That's really um, what you're hoping for. There is get the opportunity to score a couple against Degrom, but really get his pitch count up as high as you can as quickly as possible, so he gets out of the game. That's your real goal. Uh, in that second game, we'll have Keller versus Nathan Evaldi. He, we, he him we did hit pretty well uh, last time and it looks like the league is hitting him pretty well so far at 6.32 ERA and a 1.53 whip that is much higher than what you want. Uh, he throws a fastball 95 to 96, a changeup, a cutter, a curveball, a slider. Throws the cutter a lot more now than he does or than he does just the four seam fastball. Uh, we got six earned runs against him in five innings last time. So that's kind of what we want to repeat this time if we can. And we saw him in that exhibition game right before the year too. I think that helps as well. Uh, in the last game, Brady Singer will go against Martin Perez. Is it Martin or Martin? Martin. Martin, Martin Perez. My uh, laptop doesn't let me do accents very easily. Yeah. Left-handed, uh, 32-year-old lefty, 2.87 ERA, the 1.6 whip, which is pretty high. Makes it seem like maybe he's getting out of some trouble. Um, he's been a real up-and-down kind of guy. He's had years when he was great and years when he was terrible. So it's kind of hard to uh, figure him out. Uh, sinker 91 to 92, a changeup, a cutter, a four seamer doesn't throw a slider very much, but he has one. And so, uh, it'll be a tough series again as we get to Grom again. Um, but Eovaldi and, and Perez are people who you can get hits on. So let's hope we can win a series there. Yeah. After the Rangers, they'll head on out to, I'm going to go out to one of those games for the Rangers, by the way, I'm going to Tuesday's bark at the park. First game of the season for me. What? All right. But anyway, uh, they'll head to the West Coast again to face the Angels of Los Angeles. You can tell how tight the AL West is packed right now. We, we mentioned that the Rangers are eight and six tied for the lead. The Angels are seven and eight. They're tied for third or fourth, depending on how you want to look at it um, in the AL West. So the whole AL West is compressed within these like few games right now. But it's early, you know, uh, the Angels. We know their story. It's a story as old as the Angels. Uh, or at least as old as the last few years, they have a couple of the best players on planet earth. And then they have a bunch of other guys and that lack of depth in the lineup and in the rotation has really kept them out of the playoffs. They have not made the playoffs. I don't think in Mike Trout's uh, career, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I think he's had like one or t one playoff series, maybe. And anyway. it's not a lot. 
it's not a lot, and they're you know they're not having a, a bunch of success despite the fact that they have some top tier talent at the top of their uh, roster. Right now, they're doing pretty well offensively as a team. They're ninth in weighted runs created plus as a team with guys like Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon's have a little bit of a bounce back season. Hunter Renfro's having a pretty decent year, so they're doing all right offensively. Uh, pitching wise, which has been a struggle for them outside of Otani for the last couple of years, they're ninth in team ERA, which is pretty good at 3.80, but that maybe they maybe do for some regression. They've got a 4.32 fielding independent pitching and a 4.70 adjusted fielding independent pitching, which means they're being helped by some home run suppression and they're sort of, uh, being helped by some other things that might be a little bit flimsy. And so hopefully when we head out there, we can take advantage of some pitching. Hopefully we miss Otani. Got to hope for that. And then uh, hopefully we can sort of uh, hit them around the park a little bit like uh, others may not have yet. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with the Just About Outside segment. People love this segment. I don't know why. Uh, it's just a bunch of stuff from Mike's boring life, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what he's got this week. Mike, what do you got this week in your exceptionally boring life? Uh, it's it's it's. Thank you for insulting me. <laughs> um, <laughs> appreciate it. Is that insulting or am brother? I just documenting the facts, man? Like... <laughs> My life is boring. Got it. Okay. Uh, I'm going with a TV show. You know, that's that's what you do when you're boring. You watch television. Okay. Uh, so my wife and I started watching a, a TV show on Netflix called Kim's Convenience. Okay. It's a Canadian show, I believe. At least it's set in Canada. Uh, but it's it's about a Korean family that owns like a little kind of corner market kind of place. Uh, it's funny. It's very funny. And so, I, you know me, I, I really don't like watching dramas or anything that's heavy. I like a good sitcom here and there, and and this one's good. And so uh, I've been I've been enjoying it. It's light. You don't got to think too much, but it's still uh, very funny. So uh, check that one out. Don't you watch documentaries about World War One? I? I do, um, but those That's things not funny. <laughs> yeah, but if <laughs> that's they, super dark, I do. I watch the ones that are like um, where they don't they don't put any narrative to it. It's just these are the facts. This is what happened. It's not, you know, it's not like they don't develop some narrative around a guy like, oh, this is Jim who, you know, said goodbye to his dog and his wife and went off to war. I don't do any of that. It's just like, these are the people. <laughs> this is the sides. This is what happened. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I don't watch the drama stuff because I watch so many documentaries and they're too dark. I don't know. I just watched anyway. one on, on the plague in uh, yeah. in England in 1348. So it's nothing but darkness from you. <laughs> anyway, uh, I've, I've seen Kim convenience. I've watched a few episodes of that it's pretty funny. I like it. Um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't get, I, it's not something I could sit down and just watch and watch and watch because I don't know. It doesn't hit me that hard, but it is a decent story. I like the main character lady. Uh, and so, yeah, give it a shot. Uh, mine is also film television based, I guess, sort of, um, but on, what was it? Last night, last night, my partner and I decided to do a thing we're calling Spaghetti Western Night, where we make spaghetti and then watch Spaghetti Westerns. Okay. <laughs> and for some reason, we thought this was very clever. Okay. And so, First off, that's not very clever. But you know what you should do? It, don't limit yourself to Spaghetti Westerns. Watch any Western. You can watch Tombstone. Well, well yeah. And we're going to do that eventually. Uh, but... I've never seen any spaghetti Westerns. And so like I wanted to check them out. There's a whole bunch of them. And so if you don't know what a spaghetti Western is, which 
uh, I know a lot more about it now because as we were starting to watch them, I'm like, just my curiosity brain goes off and I'm like, where'd that name come from? What tell, let me learn more about. And so I started learning a ton about spaghetti Westerns. Let me give you the skinny on spaghetti Westerns. They're called spaghetti Westerns <laughs> because their extremely low budgets meant that they had to shoot over in Europe, often with Italian directors. And so if you look at the, like the credits of those movies, you will see a ton of Italian names because there's a whole bunch of Italian actors in them. And then the people who direct and produce them, they're all Italian. Uh, and so that's how they get the name Spaghetti Western, right? Now, what's interesting about this, like, and I'm going to tell you, I got really into the, the um, what's called the Man With No Name trilogy, or sometimes it's called the, um, oh, what's the other name for it? Uh, but basically it's like a fistful of dollars, a few dollars more than the good, the bad, and the ugly with Clint Eastwood. That's, we watched the first two of that yesterday. And the budgets for these were so low that Clint Eastwood actually just brought his own wardrobe to wear in these. Right. And so everybody thinks they're a trilogy because his character wears the same clothes in all the movies and has the same manners. But that's not the case. He actually just brought a, a costume he had from the TV show Rawhide. He, I guess he was on maybe. And he brought <laughs> it to that and wore it there. And so it's like, okay. But the director had no plan for them to be a trilogy. He's just like, nah, nah. but a bunch of actors are in, the, are in all three, but they play different characters. Does he, does he play a different character? By the director's thinking, yes. He plays a different character in each one. He's only called by his name a few times in each of the movies, right? That's why he's often referred to as the man with no name, even though he is called by a name in every movie, right? And so what's interesting is because he looks the same in every movie, has the same mannerisms as a cowboy and all this sort of thing, people say, oh, it's a trilogy. And the American distributors were like, we need to be able to market it as a trilogy, so we're going to call it a trilogy. And so there's a whole bunch of like film fans who afterwards are talking about like the ways in which continuity hooks up, even though the director was like, I did not create these stories to run into each other in any way. And you have multiple actors playing different characters in the different movies. It's, it's a very weird thing. If you get a chance, I know some of our older audience may have already seen all these movies, but if you get a chance, watch a fistful of dollars, a few dollars more and the good, the bad and the ugly, you'll see some pretty messed up and weird stuff. Uh, anyway, for more messed up and weird stuff, keep watching Royals baseball, okay? Because <laughs> it gets it's going to get weird, okay? Um, we'll be back to talk about it next week, however weird it gets. Until then, be good to each other. And go Royals. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.